You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. You want to grab your Bibles here this morning and turn to the book of First John. If you don't have a Bible uh, in your hands here this morning, if you don't have one at home, we have plenty of Bibles. We would love to bring one to you. Just put your hand up. The usher will bring one to you. If you don't have a Bible at home, that is our gift to you. Take that. We want you to be in the Word of God at all times. His Word is inerrant, sufficient for all of life and godliness. And we know nothing apart from what He's revealed by His powerful Word. And so as you're returning in your Bibles to 1 John, we're going to be going to chapter 2 verses 18 to 17 here this morning. Uh, Just a reminder for parents, too, we have a room in in the back, or there's also the toddler's room is open if you need to take a little one out. We know we've got them all with us here this morning, but if you need that, that is yours. But if you would turn to 1 John chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 17, uh, sorry, 18 to 27 here this morning. And so I'm going to read that to you as we begin. Children... It is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and it has no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray. Our Father, we gather in your name. We gather in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We gather indwelt by your Holy Spirit. And we gather to worship you for all of who you are. I'm so thankful for these people that do pray for our hearts here this morning as we again hear the word of God. We pray that your, your word would do its work by the power of your spirit within us as you illuminate the text to our hearts. We pray that you would convict us of our sin, but also encourage us uh, that we do have eternal life for those who are walking with the Lord, those who are disciples. We're so thankful that we get to gather and celebrate our Savior today, as we also remember the death of Christ, help, we pray that this, uh, as we walk through the ceremony of the Lord's Supper, again, that you would use that for our faith as well, that you would drive us to yourself. Lord, as your word is open before us, we pray for your help. Move me aside and preach to your people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me ask you about what we just read. Let me ask you about that word, Antichrist. What does your heart do with the word Antichrist when you hear that? And let me ask you, what is the Antichrist? Who is the Antichrist? Have you seen the Antichrist? What does he look like? Where is he from? Have you seen him? Well, maybe you don't know uh, about the Antichrist or who he is according to the scriptures. Maybe Antichrist is here, but he's not yet here. We're not sure. What about if I asked you about antichrists? What does that mean? What does that look like? Who are they? Have you seen any antichrists lately? And if you have, what do they look like? How can you identify them? And where are they? 
Now, when I just mentioned the word antichrist, you may be a little bit squeamish at even the mention of that word. Maybe you've never heard that term being used before. But when it comes to the word of God, as we are walking through the book of 1 John here, John is not shy to talk about antichrist or antichrist. As John is writing to this struggling church that, he's, uh, that he has been working with through this book, as we've been learning, he's got a lot to say here this morning on this topic because it is a really big deal for that church and it's a really big deal for our church today. It's a really big deal when it comes down to the protection and the health and the safety of the church. And so in our text today, we're going to see that John is going to give us some very specific markers to be watching out for, some, some deadly, distinct characteristics that we are to be on guard for when it comes down to identifying an antichrist. So what is the difference between an antichrist and a Christian? We're going to see some of that here today. As John goes on, he, goes, he starts here by mentioning children. Again, it's showing us his loving, fatherly character and his approach to this church throughout this letter. But before we can examine these distinct and deadly characteristics, the first thing we want to just mention is three things that you're going to be looking for. We're going to be trying to define what Antichrist is. We're going to be looking at what they look like. And so we're going to begin here this morning by defining it. So we're going to define Antichrist and Antichrist. What does John mean when he uses this terminology? I mean, especially as he is the only author in the New Testament that uses these specific titles, what does John mean by Antichrist? Well, the word Antichrist is the Greek word Antichristos, which is only used four times in all of the Bible, and it's John who uses this. He uses it three times here in the letter of 1 John, and then he uses it once in the book of 2 John. And so quite plainly, when you see the word anti, we know that that means against, or that means opposite. And then when you see that being used here with the word Christ, Christ means anointed Savior, anointed one, which is the equivalent to the word Messiah in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament. And so the word antichrist literally means against Messiah. It literally means against the anointed one. And so as Jesus is the Christ, he is the anointed Savior, the word speaks of someone who would be against him. Now, as little as this specific word is used in the Bible, the concept of antichrist is not foreign to the rest of the scriptures. No, in fact, this concept of antichrist is actually seen throughout the Bible. For example, one of the earliest places you see this being referenced is in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but I'm just going to talk about it a little bit. Daniel uh, chapter 7 is an apocalyptic vision of the end times. And with that vision, there was a vision of four great beasts where the greatest of all of these beasts had ten horns and that one of those horns is spoken of as destroying three of the other horns where Daniel 7, chapter 8 says, And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. And then later in the book of Daniel, chapter eleven thirty one, it says, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Now, when you're talking about apocalyptic literature, there's lots to be seen, lots to discern, especially there's, there's a lot of symbolic things as well. And there's also a lot of differing opinions as to what all of this means for sure. But, but most would not deny that this imagery here in Daniel 7 is, is imagery of a coming powerful figure in the last days who will vehemently hate God and God's people. And most importantly, he's going to hate the Messiah. And so he is an antichrist. He would be against the Messiah coming. Now, as this ten-horse beast imagery also shows up at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, we see that this beast, this person, will again, the same as Daniel 7, will utter blasphemies. He'll utter blasphemies against God. He's going to make war against God's people, and he's going to deceive them, even to the point of, of some of them worshiping him, as it says in Revelation 13, verses 6 and 7 that they would worship him. And this is the same concept that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians 
chapter two, verses three to four, where he's also talking about the end days that, that in, in the time right now that we are in the end days, he says, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come un- unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, speaking of this same person, this person who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So that's just a very short kind of overview of the Antichrist theology that's going on, this concept of Antichrist, both in the old and in the new. And in, even in the way that John refers to it here in 1 John 2, 18, we notice that John just mentions it but doesn't really explain it. So it, we can deduce from that time, it's kind of a well-understood concept that the church would have had as John is just mentioning this. The people would have known who he's talking about. They would have been expecting this in these last days, that there was going to come a deceiving, warring beast, a man of lawlessness, a son of destruction, an antichrist, was going to come and make war against God and make war against his people. And so they were living in light of that. And they were living in light of that, needing to be ready and expecting his arrival any day. In fact, as John says, children, he also says, it, it is the last hour. He's speaking with great immediacy here. He's speaking with great urgency that it is the last days. It is the final hour. Now, that was 2,000 years ago. John would still say, it is the final hour. Now, on a side note, as all of this falls within the realm of eschatology, which just means the theology of the end times, just you got to know that there's a few different perspectives as to where we are in the last days and who this Antichrist may be, as it is believed that there may already be partial fulfillment of this Antichrist figure, that this man of lawlessness from Daniel 7 who defiles the temple uh, could be very reflective of this Greek ruler by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. You can look that up in history who in 167 BC went and defiled the temple in Jerusalem and he even set up an altar to Zeus in the temple and he even slaughtered a pig and fed it to the Jewish people from the temple. He defamed the faith of the Jews. He then also persecuted and murdered many of the Jewish people. Again, if you want to know more about that, go look up the Jewish festival of the lights. It's a whole reclamation from that story. And so it seems that there is a partial fulfillment that some of this has already happened, but Jesus and John here are both speaking with a future perspective. And so it seems there's some partial fulfillment awaiting a more realized fulfillment in the end. Some people also think that in AD 70 with the destruction of the temple, some think that Nero is this Antichrist figure. In fact, throughout history, many have speculated on who the Antichrist is from Martin Luther's day, who, who would call the Pope the Antichrist. To fast forward to World War II, people would speculate that Hitler was the Antichrist. To even a few years ago, Barack Obama and Trump, uh, people would suspect that they might be the Antichrist. The truth is that many have speculated who he may be, and that's when we remember that The end times is a theology that is both mysterious and veiled. It's one of those things we we hold with an open hand. It's full of apocalyptic language for a reason that as Jesus himself said in Mark 13, 32 to 33, but concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. But then he says, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. And so as we are to live in the last days in which we are, we are to also be anticipating the arrival of the Antichrist. But then John goes on to say, Antichrists have come. So there's a mindset of the church at that time, this church that John is writing, that they should be on guard, they should be watching for the Antichrist, and we are still to be doing that today. But then John goes on to say something really crucial, as he says, he says, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And so what we see here is that although there is a future forecast, 
of the one Antichrist that is yet to come, the reality that faces the church right now in their day and in our day is that many Antichrists have come. Many Antichrists have already come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And so notice carefully that he's not saying that the Antichrist has come yet, that it is a future thing, but notice carefully that he says that many Antichrists have come. And so what we see here is that to know that you are in the last days is not only revealed by the reality of a final Antichrist, but it's also revealed through the fact that many Antichrists have come. We are in the last days. And as this beloved church that John is writing to here was dealing with the fallout of false teaching and false teachers who almost destroyed the church, but they have since left, as we're going to learn, what we see here is that John is specifically calling them antichrists. They are those who are against Christ. They are those who are enemies of Christ. These would be the same type of antichrist that, that Jesus himself warned about in Mark 13, 22 to 23, where he said, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. And so as Jesus' message over and over again is to be on guard and to be watching out, what was the church to be watching out for? What are some of those deadly characteristics, those lethal markers that the church need to, need to be on guard for that's going to clearly identify who is an antichrist? Well, a couple of years ago, if you were watching the newsreels, keeping your eye on social media, there was some frightening-sounding headlines out there, frightening headlines with the title that Asian murder hornets had been spotted near the Canadian border. Asian murder hornets. Anybody remember that? That people needed to be on guard. They needed to be watching out for them because of these supersized hornets as they were known to, known to kill people. Even worse than that, they are known to be uh, cannibalistic attackers upon beehives. That as these Hornets are from the bee family. They are actually the most lethal of enemies towards a bee colony. In fact, murder hornets decimate whole bee colonies in just a matter of hours as they go from bee to bee decapitating their heads and feeding upon uh, their carcasses. They would take their carcasses and they feed their young. And so you see where they get the, the title, murder hornets. And so out of fear of losing our bee populations and what that would mean to the, the, the food chain, the government was putting out warnings and alerts. They were sending out uh, descriptions of what these murder hornets look like and so, so that if somebody seen one, that they would report them. I know we have a friend here visiting from the island. They spotted some on Vancouver Island and they even tried to track them back to a nest and I think they, I think they destroyed the nest. That picture's up there for your enjoyment. These hornets are so lethal to the colony of bees. But even more so, antichrists are that much more lethal to the church. And so just as beekeepers need to be able to rightly identify murder hornets for the safety of the hive and the health of the world, so much more the church needs to be able to identify antichrists for her own health and safety. And so, friends, the question is, is how are you to identify an antichrist from an authentic Christian. That even though a hornet looks somewhat like a bee, how can you tell the difference between an antichrist and an authentic believer? Well, the first way that John shows us here from verse 18 is that you can identify them by how they relate to the body of believers. As the murder hornet is ultimately against the hive, an antichrist is against Christ's people. And as an antichrist is against Christ's people, the first deadly descriptor John gives us here is that an antichrist will defect, but the authentic will remain. An antichrist will defect, but the authentic will remain. So verse 19, they. Who is he talking about? Who's the they? It's the antichrists. And he says, they went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out 
that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So friends, the one thing you need to be watching for when it comes to the body of Christ is that an antichrist may embed themselves within the body, within the church, and they may even look a lot like those who are in the church. They may look Christian, but the truth is that an antichrist is going to ultimately end up defecting from the body because as John argues here, they aren't actually of the body. They went out from us, he says, but they were not of us. And he even argues further, he says, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Friends, the evidence that you are of the body, that you are authentic, is that you are going to persevere to the end in the body of Christ, within the family of God, the church. Just as Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is what theology regards as the perseverance of the saints. That there are those names who are written within the Lamb's book of life. Those who were of the sheep's fold. Those who have truly been born again. All who the Father has given Christ. Those who cannot be snatched from his hand. But the evidence that you're not of the body that you are in fact not a Christian and are even more regarded here by John as an antichrist being against Christ is ultimately proven in the reality that you will ultimately defect. You will depart. It may be on your own accord or you may be removed from the body. Now in the case of the false teachers here, these antichrists that John is talking about, the ones who he says went out from us are those false teachers that were infiltrating the church. And the reason that they went out isn't entirely clear, but it seems like by this text, they went out from their own volition. It doesn't say in the text that they were forced out. It doesn't say that they were excommunicated, put outside the body. It does say, but that they went out, that they left. Now this word went out in the Greek, ex althane, is the same word that is also used for none other than Judas Iscariot. When from the upper room, Christ and his disciples were eating the Lord's Supper, but Judas Iscariot, who was one of the original 12 disciples, ultimately betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and the text says he goes out from the disciples. His going out is the evidence that he was never of them. He was not true. He was not regenerate. He was not Holy Spirit filled. But he was in fact an apostate, an antichrist. Friends, the truth is that antichrists don't readily look like enemies from the start. They embed themselves within. But there will be a moment when their true identity is revealed. It might be through an act of betrayal but ultimately they will defect from the body. John Stott says the essence of apostasy is changing sides from that of the crucified to that of the crucifier. It looked as though these false teachers in Ephesus that John is writing to, it looked like they may have been the real thing on the outside. They may have looked the part but as the church was beginning to catch some wind of maybe some of their new ideas, their Gnostic teaching. And maybe the church started pushing back. Those people may have been disciplined out of the body or they have decided to move on themselves. And so friends, there are two clear principles for us here on this first point. When it comes to testing whether one is an antichrist or an authentic, and that is, number one, that Christ's true church will persevere. Christ's true church will persevere. This is perseverance of the saints and that the false, the antichrist, will not persevere. Friends, true believers will stay in the faith until the end, but the false will not. It's the difference between orthodoxy and heterodoxy. It's the difference between authentic and apostate. And the true reality that we need to wrap our heads around is that as the end is drawing near and near, as John says, it is the last hour. What we can expect to see is that there's going to be more and more antichrists. There's going to be more and more anti-Christians that are going to be revealed. And that we can identify them by their defecting. 
It might be a defection from the body. It may be just a defection from the faith, a defection from true biblical theology. I mean, just think right now, think about the stories of deconstruction going on out there. Think about the young people in the church and older people as well who at one time claimed to be authentic Christians but are now falling away from the faith or as they like to use the term these days is deconstructing. And that not only are they destructing quietly but they're going away swinging and they're doing damage. I mean, just think about some of the recent ones over the years. I got a few names. There's a lot more. But here's just a few. If you remember Joshua Harris. There's also a couple YouTuber guys. They were who claim to be Christians, Rhett and Link. And there's also a, a Christian lady. We, we sing some of her songs, or we have sung some of her songs, Audrey Assad. And there's many others who were supposed former Christians, public figures in the faith, who have now stepped away and even are boldly proclaiming to be against the faith. That faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. And what we see is it's not just a quiet falling away in these, these roles and in, in these folks, but it's a leaving of the faith in protest that as they had major influence within Christian circles and within the minds, especially of young people, John would regard these people as those who went out from us because they never were of us. Like the false teachers in Ephesus, they went out like Judas. They went out from us, but they were not of us. They went out that it might become plain, obviously plain, that they are all not of us. The truth is, Christian, that just because someone claims to know Christ and that they may even claim to, to be a Christian and look like a Christian, maybe they're even showing some signs of some what we might think is fruit. The fact that they leave the faith, the fact that they go out from us, reveals that they never were. They were not of us. Jesus taught about this stuff in the parable of the sower, where the seeds that landed on the rocky soil, they, they quickly sprouted. They ultimately, though, had no depth of root in Jesus Christ, therefore they withered away. It's a lot of initial excitement, but they did not persevere. Friends, although it can be hard at times to discern who is authentic and who is not, what John says that is plain and clear that someone is an anti-Christian is in the fact that they leave the body, they, they leave the faith, and they never turn back in repentance. Now there is a sense that we could also apply this to anyone who leaves the faith and never returns. There is a principle at play here where if somebody goes out from us, they were never of us. Sometimes we use this principle to explain why uh, children who were raised in Christian homes end up going wayward and never turn to Christ as it may be a rejection of their childhood faith. So there is a sense and a principle here that is true and helpful for us to understand what's going on there, that they didn't lose their faith. They never really had it to begin with. But I, I believe that this antichrist language that Paul is using here is specifically tied to those who Satan is using intentionally to oppose the church, to bring harm to the church. As Paul said in Galatians 2, 4 to 5, where he says, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. He was counseling the church in this to stand firm, to hold fast. That's why he says in Galatians 2.5, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved in you. So friends, even today, still to this day, we need to be watching, even more so today, as the end is drawing near. How many would say we're closer to the end than they were at the writing of this book? We are. As Satan hates the church, more antichrists are going to come, and they're going to seek to destroy the church. But as Jesus perseveres his true church, he calls upon us to be on guard, to watch out, to be confident that we can stand on the word and we don't yield to them. We don't yield to them even for a moment. An antichrist will defect, but the authentic will remain. And so that's the first deadly characteristic to be watching out for when it comes to identifying antichrists. 
But the second deadly characteristic John highlights has to do about how the Antichrist relates to Christ or how Antichrists relate to Christ. And that deadly characteristic is that an Antichrist will deny, but the authentic will confess. An Antichrist will deny, but the authentic will confess. Verse 20, but you, the church, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Friends, the authentic ones, the true believers, as John is writing here, and as he highlights, this church are those who, who have been anointed by the Holy One, he says. They have been anointed by Jesus. He uses the word anointing here, and, and it's being used quite cleverly in the language to emphasize legitimacy to Christ in contrast to the Antichrist's illegitimacy to Christ. In fact, as the word anointed is the word chrisma in the Greek, it's phonetically connected to the word of Christ. And it's being used here in a wordplay against the Antichristos. That as, a, that as Christ means anointed one, those who are truly his are the anointed ones. Remember, Christ means the anointed one. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, you are the anointed ones. It's the connection to our relation with Jesus Christ. That we are not antichrists, we are pro-Christs. We are the true Christians. And that as we are the true Christians, we are those who John also says have knowledge as John has already highlighted back in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And then in verse 10, it, this whole idea of knowledge is about truly knowing God. The true anointed ones of the anointed one know the anointed one. We can truly know him. And we can truly know him by knowing the very truth. Verse 21, he says that. He says, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. So the authentic are those who are the anointed knowers of God and his truth. And then verse 22 goes on to reveal that the antichrists are those who are liars of the truth. And they are deniers of Jesus Christ. That's what he says in verse 22. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He says this is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Friends, to deny the truth about Jesus Christ is to deny the Father, just as verse 23 says. No one who denies the Son has the Father. So friends, beyond that leaving of the body, beyond that defecting of the faith, what needs to stand out so strongly and so clearly when it comes to defining and identifying Antichrist is how they approach the very Son of God. And most specifically, how they regard his anointed role as the Christ, as the Messiah. And friends, I don't think John could say it any more clearer than he does here. That if you deny that Jesus is the Messiah, you are an antichrist. You are against Christ. Friends, we are born against Christ. And as John is referencing these false teachers that have gone out from them, we believe these false teachers are early Gnostics. They were those who were denying either the deity or the humanity of Christ. And the biggest problem that they had was that they got Jesus wrong. They weren't believing in the real Jesus. And it seems that, that as they were embedded in the church, that what they were espousing is that they were believing in the Father, but they were denying Jesus. And that's why John here is so firmly pressing that to confess the Son is to have the Father also. And that conversely, what's happening in the denial of the real, of the real Christ is to, to deny both the Son and the Father, that you can't have one without the other. Friends, what we do with Jesus means everything. How we approach the role of the Son of God and Messiah means everything. That's why John emphasizes him as Son and Christ. The fundamental error that every false teacher and antichrist makes is the denial of Jesus as the Christ or Jesus as the Son of God. I mean, this started out with the world 
of Jesus' own people as he was alive on the earth. As John wrote in his gospel in chapter 1, verse 10 to 11, it says about Jesus that he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And then it also says about the Jewish people, it says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Although Jesus was the the greatest teacher and preacher of the gospel during his life, by and large, friends, the world rejected the message of Christ. And it continues to do so. John 3.32 John 3.32 says, He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Friends, it all comes down to what you do with the reality of Jesus Christ. In those days, the Gnostics were denying, again, either his humanity or deity or both. But since then, this has been the classic failure, the classic affront to true biblical Christianity. And it always comes down to a denial of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther's biggest beef with the Roman Catholic Church was that they believed in an insufficient Jesus. That his work as the Messiah on the cross wasn't enough to keep you saved. That you had to keep doing all these sacraments. You had to make pilgrimages. You could even buy indulgences. You could do stuff to get saved. Friends, that's not the biblical Jesus. And so he was in protest of that. That is why we're called Protestants. We believe in Christ alone for salvation. So when Luther and many reformers would call the Pope the Antichrist, he was just that. He was an Antichrist. And therefore, as the Roman Catholic Church chased extra-biblical teaching and they continued on in this whole works-righteousness theology, this was an insufficient theology, teaching about an insufficient Christ. Like the Antichrist in John's church. What we would say about Roman Catholic theology is that they went out from us, but they were never of us. Yes, their beginnings was orthodox, but in the years to come, they began believing in this false sufficiency of Christ. They've removed themselves from the true understanding of the faith. No longer sola scriptura, no longer Christ alone. And friends, this is always the way it goes. It always comes down to what you do with Christ. Now, as the Roman Catholic Church denied the real Christ by adding works to his work, other pseudo-Christian faith and cults since then have either distorted or outright denied the person of Jesus. The Jewish faith continues to deny the Messiahship of Jesus to their peril. The Mormons believe that they would say that Jesus is the Son of God, but they would deny that he is God. They believe that he is the Son of God amongst many sons of God, including Lucifer. Therefore, Joseph Smith and all his followers to come after him have gone out from us, but were not of us. The same goes for the Jehovah's Witnesses who don't believe Jesus is God. They believe he's the angel Michael. The same goes for many offshoots of faulty, extra-biblical ideas who mess with the person of Jesus as described in this book alone. As I was writing that portion of my sermon, I had a knock on the door, and it was the Jehovah's Witnesses. Friends, we need to be careful because Satan is sneaky. Satan, as the text of the Bible says, he masquerades around as an angel of light. Many of these antichrist movements tend to look Christian. They even sound Christian, like those murder hornets. As one would fly by you, you probably wouldn't know that it's not just a big bee. He's not a big bee. He's a murder hornet who's, who's only coming around the nest to decapitate you. That's how Satan works. Jude 4, 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, the most dangerous part of this is that antichrists often don't immediately look like antichrists. Therefore, we have to be watching. 
Therefore, we have to be witnessing. We have to be careful. Listen to what they're saying. Listen for their lies. You also need to be careful when something sounds new, something sounds fantastic. You need to be careful when somebody espouses some kind of special insight, some kind of new insight, some kind of unique or novel idea or angle on Jesus. We need to be careful whenever you hear that you need more than Jesus. That Jesus, yes, is God, he's all of these things, but you need more, you need an experience, you need a sign, you need a wonder, you need a special word. No, friends, we need to stick to the good news, the old, perfect, sufficient person of Jesus Christ as revealed by the Bible. As John himself says, we have the truth. He says, we know the truth. And because no lie is in the truth, if you stick to the scriptures, you have the absolute truth. And so, friends, that means that we stick to the truth alone. The truth is enough. The truth is safe. And anything outside of that is questionable, if not dangerous. Friends, in a world with far too many antichrist, pseudo-Christian cults and myths and counterfeit faiths, and many more to spring up in the days to come, because many antichrists are coming, John says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. So we have to be very careful. But with that, he also affirms that whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Friends, we need to hold fast to Jesus. We need to hold fast to the real and biblical Jesus. Hold fast to the truth of the Word of God. Hold fast to all of it. J.C. Ryle says, he says, what is the best safeguard against false teaching? Beyond all doubt, the regular study of the word of God with prayer for the teaching of the Holy Spirit. The Bible was given to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The man who reads it aright will never be allowed to greatly error. It is neglect of the Bible which makes so many a prey to the first false teacher whom they hear. Which really leads to the third characteristic, the third deadly characteristic of how to identify an antichrist, and that is point number three. An antichrist will deceive, but the authentic will abide. Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. Friends, when it comes to remaining in the true fold and confessing the true Christ, it comes down to abiding, and it comes down to abiding in the gospel. And according to John here, abiding in both the Son and the Father is letting what, what the church has heard from the very beginning abide in them. So no new ideas, no novel takes on Jesus Christ or the faith. No, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you because if what you heard from the beginning is the gospel message, it was taught by the apostles, it was grounded in the Old Testament, and if that abides in you, the result is that you will abide in the Son and the Father. And when you abide in the Son and the Father, what is the reward? What does he say in verse 25? It is eternal life. Just as John has been writing that you may know that you have eternal life, eternal life is life with Christ. Friends, again, there is a great contrast that John is putting on display here, that as the false teachers are obsessed with lying and deceiving, Christians are obsessed with abiding in the Lord. Antichrists are consumed with being against God, but the authentic are consumed with being for God, in God, pro-God. He says in verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Friends, as false teachers, antichrists are popping up like, like moles on that whack-a-mole game. As John says, as antichrist is coming, so many antichrists have come, and their goal, friends, is deception, their goal is like their father, Satan, who was the deceiver from the very beginning. He is the one who said from the very beginning, did God really say? And as we are the anointed ones of the anointed one, John says, don't listen to those antichrists. Stop listening to the antichrists. 
Verse 27, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Why? But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Friends, again, it's pretty clear that John is teaching his church to put on their abiding seatbelts. But as their road has already been a roller coaster through this defection and fallout from the false teachers already, that there is going to be more ups and downs along the way, and that the only way to stay in the seat, to stay on the tracks, away from temptation, away from being tantalized by all of these interesting theories and theologies out there, is that we need the seat belt of what we have already heard, the anointing one who abides within us. They have no need that anyone should teach you. Friends, when they have the gospel, when you have the word and the spirit, we don't need any new kind of insights. We don't need any cutting-edge perspectives on Jesus. And no, Andy Stanley, we don't need to unhitch the Old Testament from the New. We don't need any special kind of prophecy. We don't need any kind of special word, special knowledge, special privilege. We don't need to hear from an angel. It's not from a burning in the bosom, as the Mormons would say. It's not a promise of prosperity or wealth or healing or deliverance. Friends, we don't need to add to the truth, and we don't need to soften it either. Now, just as John ends this section, it's all about God's word and his spirit dwelling within us, that abides in us. That is what is always true. That is what never lies. Because God, by his Holy Spirit, teaches us everything according to his word, according to knowledge, it says in verse 20. Everything according to the confession of Christ, right? The message of the gospel from verse 23 according to what we have heard from the beginning, verse 24, according to what John is writing, verse 26, according to the teaching of God's very word by his spirit, friends, the Holy Spirit and his word always work in perfect tandem. The Holy Spirit wrote the scripture. The Holy Spirit confirms it and illuminates it to our hearts. He convicts us according to it. That's what this anointing is all about. Friends, when you've got everything that is true and infinite and eternal in Christ, you have no need to be taught some other outside teaching. We don't need to go outside the scriptures. That is the classic failure of all false teaching and antichrist. And what they do is they seek extra biblical revelation. That is always the downfall that leads to cults and counterfeits. And so we need to be wary of this. Be careful with anything outside of this book. But just as John closes out, he says, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Abiding, friends, is rejecting the work of Antichrist and holding fast to the word of Christ by his spirit. Friends, as the attacks in this world are coming hard and fast from the outside, let us pay careful attention to what's going on on the inside of the church. Let's watch closely. Let's listen carefully. That even more so than murder hornets, let's be watching for those deadly characteristics that identify antichrists who want to tear down the church. And then as we close, let's ask ourselves, why does all of this matter? Why does John go to such lengths here to talk about this? Why does this matter to our church right now? Why should this matter? Why should this matter to the moms and the dads and the kids and the grandparents and the, and the singles and the teens, the young adults, all the men and women of this church? Well, it matters so much to John because it matters so much to Christ. It matters so much because you are the authentic church. It matters so much to Jesus because you are his flock that he's shepherding. As Psalm 23 says, right, his rod and his staff, they they comfort us. He, He loves his flock so much that he would go to no end to protect us. And so with that, he equips us to protect each other. 
Friends, we are the bride. We are precious in his sight. We are his children. We are in his family. We are to be reflectors of his glory and his grace. We are his body and his hands of of feet and mercy and love. We, the church, are the pillar and the buttress of the truth. And so we stand on the truth and we defend the truth. It matters because we are Christ's. We are his. And he loves us. And as he's talking about antichrists that are coming and an antichrist to come, as scary as that may sound, he is coming. Our great and furious king is coming to deal with sin and death and evil. And he's coming soon. But until then, how are we to identify the antichrist from the authentic? Quite simply, as they will defect, we will remain. As they will deny, we will confess. As they will deceive, we will abide. So in the strength of the Spirit, according to his word, by the will of the Father, and for the sake of the name of Christ, in this last hour, friends, may our prayer be that we will remain, that we will confess, and we will abide. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for things that are even hard to understand, but we do thank you that the totality of your scriptures interpret themselves and teach us about the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our God, as as we are a somewhat new church, as we look back to your scriptures and we remember the churches of the New Testament and even the churches in the book of Revelation, we see that they are no longer there. And so we know that even as young as our church is, there is even a lifespan of churches. And the sad thing is that often churches spiral off into decay and death. It's because of false teaching. And so we pray, God, that as as you are so faithful and true to be guiding us through all of these days, that as the last hour is here, you would continue to protect us, but that in us, that we are equipped to be watching. We would also be motivated to stand in the perseverance that you provide, that where we are faithless, you are always faithful, that you will take us to the end. And as as we might uh, be afraid or worry about an antichrist to come or the antichrist to come, the end, we know that you are coming, that you're going to take us home to be with you. And so we praise you in light of that. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.